so much fun. Okay, so if you were here for Easter Jam, you would know that I am prone to make messes. And apparently, I did it again this morning. Hey, we want to thank those who were kind enough to, to uh, uh, donate uh, toward our Easter lilies and tulips. And if you did that this morning, I want to invite you to, uh, or welcome you to take them at the end of uh, the service. Well, the ushers are handing something out. Everybody in just a moment is going to receive a card like this. Now, at Asbury Church, we're so grateful that you have come to celebrate Easter with us. And I want you to know, we are a family-friendly church and we believe that the life of Jesus has the power to change everything. And uh, I'm excited in a few weeks, actually in the beginning of May, we will be beginning a series entitled Home Improvement. How many of you have areas in your home that need improvements? Right? How many got a honeydew list that just don't end? It's like it's the closest thing to something that's eternal, right? Especially for all us husbands out there. What about this, Right? Um, but, but we're going to be going through a series on home improvement, and our desire is just to help uh, provide practical and encourage, uh, encouraging messages to help our families as they grow and as they develop homes and all those wonderful things. And I want you to know we need your input. So this is an opportunity for you to provide a little bit of input this morning. And so if you would take a moment, grab your card, it looks like this, got a little home improvement thing on it, and it says this, what is an area where you would like to see improvement in your home? Now I know some of you are going to think, it's the kitchen. I need a kitchen. And just so you know, if you come to every week of the series, we will be giving away one free, no I'm just kidding, we're not. <laughs> That would have been amazing, right? You're like, oh, we're going to be there. You know, but, but, you know, we're not just talking about like the household stuff, though, you know, there's always that stuff. But, but as you think about it, you know, maybe it's in regards to, to, you know, relationship stuff. Maybe it's communication. Maybe it's like, what do you do with kids? How do you like start this thing out? Maybe it's finances. What for you is an area that you're like, well, you know what? Here's an area that, that you know, sometimes I struggle with or wrestle with or I have questions about. If you would take a moment and just write that down, that would be so helpful for us because we want to we help meet needs of the people within our congregation. And again, we'll be starting that uh, in May. But if you could do that, and then at the end of service, you can just leave them on your seats or you can put them on one of the tables on your way out. So again, thank you so much uh, for, for doing that. Well, today we are beginning a series entitled Moved by Hope. Okay, so we're going to do this, this series, Moved by Hope, and, and I want to begin with a question, because how many think questions are always a good place to start? So here's the question, you ready for it? What moves you? Okay, what moves you? What gets you out of bed in the morning? What keeps you out of bed in the morning? And some people will say, that's coffee. How many are grateful for coffee? The breakfast of champions. Where are my champions this morning? Oh, right? What keeps you out of bed? What, what keeps you connected? What causes you to come home at night? What keeps you sticking around? What moves you? And the reality is there's lots of things that move us. So I was thinking about a fun Easter story. And so the way I'm going to share, I, I, love, this, I love this story. I think this is a fun Easter story. And it starts out with a man and a woman, a husband and a wife. His name is William. Her name is Edith. And they are late for church on Easter Sunday morning. How many know there's nothing worse than being late for church on Easter Sunday? We're not going to ask who was that this morning, but, but you know that pressure. 
And, and for William, there was a, that, that added stress because this is what he knew. He knew that he was, had to be at church a little bit early because he was going to be one of the ushers. And so he's like, oh my goodness, i got to get there. Yet, yet when it was time to go, they hadn't gone. And as he was trying to hurry things along, he was trying to do it in a way so that... Because you know what happens when you're running a little bit behind? You Sometimes you can get a little shortened. It's like Easter Sunday, Jesus rose from the dead, and so i got to try and keep it all together. And there's his wife standing in the bathroom when they need to be leaving, and she's putting on her makeup. He's not sure how much it helps, but for her, it makes her feel good. And so he quietly waits, and he says to himself, I know what we'll do. We'll make up time in the straightaway. See, they went to a country church, and to get to the church, they had to take these roads, and there were curves. But once you came out of a curve, there were straightaways, and he's like, we'll make up time in the straightaway. And so sure enough, they finally get into the car. They rustle the kids together. They have two little daughters, one named Kathy, the other Brenda. And they put them in the back seat, and they are on their way to church. And William, he's not afraid to use that gas pedal. And so he hits it, and he just starts going. He's trying to keep composure. He knows he's running a little bit late. He comes to a corner, slows down a little bit. But once it starts straightening out, he hits the throttle again, and off they go. While they're doing this, He's beginning to make up some of that time, that, 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 you know, that anxiety of I'm going to be late, but now I'm not going to be quite as late because he knew he could go a little bit faster while he came around this one corner. And as he did, he laid on that gas again like he usually did, but this time as he laid on the gas, something just terrible happened out of nowhere. The Easter Bunny <laughs> was crossing the road. There was no time to stop. He tried as hard as he hit the brakes, but in, inevitably he heard thump, thump. He brings the car to a crashing stop or a halting stop, and there's a quiet in the car. His wife Edith says, what have you done? The kids in the back, all of a sudden they start finding their voice. It begins first with some tears and a little whimpering. And then it's, Daddy, you killed the Easter Bunny. And William's like, I'm not sure what I'm supposed to do. I'm on my way to church. And so he's like, I'll go out and look. So he opens the door, goes out behind. And sure enough, as he walks behind, there is debris everywhere. There's Easter basket parts all over. There are broken eggs and chocolate. And they're laying in the middle of the road. Is the Easter Bunny. He goes over to it. At first, he's a little timid, and so he nudges it with his toe. But the Easter Bunny doesn't move. So he gets a little closer. But there's no sound. There's no breath. The Easter Bunny is dead. His heart is fallen. He walks back to the car, and as he goes back to the car... The kids are still hysterical, crying out, Daddy, you killed the Easter Bunny. Daddy, you killed the Easter Bunny. And he sits there, and Edith goes, Well, what's going on? And he, in his quiet voice, says, Honey, the Easter Bunny is dead. Edith is like, Well, let me go see. So Edith goes out, and she takes her purse and goes out, and 
There's William watching in his rearview mirror as she walks back, seeing the whole situation, and then walks up to this bunny, and sure enough, no movement, no nothing. And William's watching in the rearview mirror, and all of a sudden she reaches into her purse and pulls out a can and just starts spraying the thing. He's like, what's going on? Maybe it was some sort of, you know, sense of sympathy or something, but she just sprays it. And he stands there and watches a moment, looking in the rearview mirror, and, and all of a sudden, he thought maybe he saw something twitch. He thinks it was the tail. And he, and he looks again, and yeah, the, 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 the tail is beginning to move. And, and then all of a sudden, an ear. And then the bunny gets up. And the bunny starts, starts hopping. It goes hop, 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 stops, turns, waves at Edith, turns around, hop, 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 turns, waves at Edith again. Hop, 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 and sure enough, as the Easter bunny hopped off into the sunset, every once in a while, stopping and waving, Edith comes back to the car. William is amazed. Oh, my goodness, what did you do? Like, well, what was it that you were spraying on? So she handed him the can. It said, hairspray. Brings dead hair to life. Adds permanent wave. Wasn't that beautiful? How many just feel encouraged this morning? You know, what moves you? Wouldn't it be great if there's a little spray that you could spray on and get you moving right? right? But, but what moves you? You know, I, I think it's interesting. There, there are so many things that move us as people. Sometimes it's desire. We want things and, and we move in the direction of our wanting. Or, or sometimes we have that sense that, that there's danger. There, there's things we fear and so we move away from them. Other times we're moved by despair. We move away from hurt and disappointment. We, we experience the, these, the, these moments and these, these difficulties, and we're like, going, you know what, I, I, just, I can't stay in this place, and so we allow the despair to move us. Sometimes we move because of duty, that, that sense of responsibility that we have. We, you know, for, for those, how many firstborns do I have here? I mean, many firstborns, you have that sense of duty. It's like, oh, it's just got to be done. You just get up and, and do it. But moved by a sense of duty. You said you would, and so you do. Other times we're moved by devotion because of our love for others. And other times we're moved by our dreams because there's something that we long for. There's something that we're hoping for. And the reality is, is hope has this incredible power and, and, and it's such a need for us as beings to be people of hope. There's a story of Flagstaff, Maine. It's a little town that's in Maine, and uh, many years ago, they were putting in a dam, and when they were putting in the dam, this town was going to be located where the retaining water was going to be. And so as it got closer and closer to the time of, of when the dam would be finished, when it would just begin to stop all the water, they began to notice that, that as people who were living in this town, as things began to fall apart upon, on their homes, they didn't even take time to do the work. 
They're like, why, why should we invest in something that's eventually just going to be underwater? And so, as, as one person was just reflecting on this whole situation, he came to this conclusion that where there is no hope in the future, there is no power in the present. That there's something that you and I need, that, that if we're going to have power in the present, if, if we're going to be able to live the life that we are called and created for, we need a hope that is bigger than the moments that we are in. It was Dostoevsky that said, to live without hope is to cease to live. Hope is so necessary for life. And this morning I want to talk about a reason to hope. A reason to believe that there is a better future that is available to each of us and to all of us. One that is greater than our situations and circumstances. A hope that is greater than our fears and our worries. One that is greater than our disappointments and uncertainties. And I believe that Easter is an invitation to hope. So we're going to take a few moments and we're going to think again about the resurrection of Jesus. And we're going to be focusing on the Gospel of John for the last few weeks. That's kind of where we've been looking as a church. And, and as we do, there's this big idea that, that I think begins to surface out of the story, and that is simply this, that the resurrection of Jesus gives everyone a reason to hope. Everyone. No matter if you're old or young or somewhere in between. Whether you're rich or poor, educated or not, wherever you are, whether you've got a history, whether you feel like you, know, you don't have a future, wherever you are, I'm convinced that the resurrection of Jesus gives everyone a reason to hope. And so we're going to look in John chapter 20, verses 1 through 18. And John is writing so that people would know that Jesus is the Messiah, that He is the one that, that people were hoping for, that they were waiting for, that He was the Son of God, and that by believing, they might have life in His name. And that life, the quality of that life, was something that, that was not, not, not hindered or diminished even by death. And as we look at this passage this morning, we're going to note four reasons that we have to hope because of the resurrection. Now, as we get ready to read, we need to understand that, that as we come to this passage, Jesus' followers are in shock. The one they believed in was the one, the, the one they believed in, the, the one they, they thought would make everything right, was arrested and then gruesomely killed by the Romans with the encouragement of the crowds. And, and they've been hiding and they, they've been in fear, in fear. There's this sense of uncertainty that they have, unsure of what to do next. Because of the way the calendar fell, part of this was taking place over a Sabbath, this, this sense of waiting, this silence. And when the silence of the Sabbath was over, this is where we, our story begins. In John chapter 20, verse 1, it says this, Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark. Everybody say, still dark. Because this is really important. On the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. Now, as, as we think about this verse and reasons to hope, one of the things that I want you to see 
First of all is this, is that Jesus came to disrupt the darkness. So John locates this story early in the morning while it's still dark. All right, how many of you, you get up when it's still dark? Raise your hand. Okay, let's just salute these people. These are our heroes. How many of you, it's like if the sun's shining, if the sun's up, that may be a good time to get up, right? While it was still dark. You can just imagine Mary has gone through all these, all these difficult and, and, and uncertain events, and, and I'm sure for her, she was having a hard time sleeping. Have you ever been through events where they're just, it kind of captures your heart and mind, and you just can't sleep? You, you may sleep for moments, but all of a sudden you wake up, and it's on your heart and your mind again. You're like, what am I supposed to do? And so here's Mary early on the first day of the week. She's not sleeping again. She's wrestling with, with, with all the events that have been transpired. Now, for us, it's easy because we're on this side of the store and we know everything that's happened. And and for us, it's great celebration. But for Mary, she's in the darkness of uncertainty. What's going to happen next? And so she goes out to the tomb where they lay Jesus. And she makes an unsettling discovery. The stone has been moved. And she begins to assume that, oh no, this is awful. Someone has taken the body of our Lord. They've taken the body of the one that we love. And she didn't know what was going on. And I'm sure in her mind she's thinking, you know what? Wasn't it enough for the people who hated Jesus to have him flogged and beaten? And crucified, couldn't they at least let him rest in peace? But the stone's gone. So is the body. What are we to do? She was in this sense of darkness. And what I think is so amazing about this story that God was at work in the darkness to ultimately disrupt it. That God was working in the darkness to disrupt it. Now, understand for John, darkness is more than just the absence of light. So I remember the old joke, where are you when the light goes out? In the dark, right? It reminds me of another joke. I, you gotta, you gotta, I have an ADD mind, so it does this. How many remember the Soviet Union? What did they use for light before candles? Electricity. Ha. You may be slow, but you're worth waiting for. That was a funny one. You know, but, but, but we, you know, we think about darkness, and, and sometimes it's just like, well, it's just an absence of light. But for John, darkness is so much more than just an absence of light. For him, it's an absence of good. For him, it's not just a physical reality, but a moral and spiritual reality as well. Something that he sees that plagues this place we call home. And we know that when we deal with humanity, we see that there's a darkness. Like we watch the news and we watch things that transpire and and sometimes our hearts are so broken by the events that take place and we say, what kind of person would do this? And, And we see that there's this darkness, this twistedness, this evil that we see manifest and we're like, oh my goodness, what is going on? 
of the darkness around us. It's the reason we wrestle sometimes with some of the things that we're going through. We have this deep sense it's not right. It's not fair. It's not good. And it's just part of the world we're part of. There's this darkness that surrounds us. But I'm convinced that if we were honest, we would recognize darkness isn't something that's just around us, but there's darkness that we deal with inside of us. Like all of us know that, that we have those moments and those times where we say and do things and we know that it hurts. We know that it causes pain. We know that what we're doing is messing things up, but we're fine with doing it anyways. Because the problem isn't the darkness just outside of us. The problem is the darkness that takes place even within us. And I know we're all at the place, we have those moments that we hope nobody ever finds out. We have those words and actions we, re we regret. Sometimes we wrestle with habits that, that we struggle to break because we know that there's a brokenness and there's a darkness. The Bible speaks about this, that this, this darkness is actually the, not what God intended for creation. That God created a world that was good a world that was beautiful, a world that was created for your and my flourishing. Yet humanity, instead of listening to God, says, you know what, I know better how to get the good things for my life. That we know better than God. And in so doing, death was set in motion. I don't know about you, but how many of you don't like to be told what to do? Right? I, I don't know if you, you, this was you, but I, I'm, just, I'm going to be, I'm, this will be a transparent moment. This is, this, is the, this is what I have to wrestle with. I remember as a kid, we'd be driving. We had a, I remember we had an Oldsmobile Delta 88. I know it had a 455 in it. I know it was like a land yacht. It was this giant vehicle, man. And uh, in the back seat, it was like maroon seats, and they had lines in it. Right, that, that ran from the back to the front. Like it was, I don't know if it's a horizontal, but it was doing this, right? And so we, at the time, it was me, my brother, my younger brother, my older sister, and then Evangeline, who was essentially a baby, and she sat with mom, because that's what we did back in the day. And you'd be occupying that little space. And then it would be like, You'd start kind of bickering. Anybody road trip with kids and you're like, they, they start bickering. And then they start saying things like this. Don't touch me. This is my space. This is mine. Don't touch. You know what kind of kid I was and still am? Because how many of us don't like to be told what to do? And you want to know something? It's not just something we wrestle with with others. This is what we do toward God. And we say, you know what, I, I, God, I think I got this. I can figure this out better than you. How to get the good life. I don't have to pay attention to you. I can do this on my own. Yet the problem was, is that when humanity re rejected its creator, it set in motion the work of uncreating, the work of death. It set in motion an undoing of beauty and purpose. 
And part of the challenge we wrestle with as we come to the Bible is that we find out that not only did we set something in motion, but there's nothing that we can do to rescue ourselves or alter sin's trajectory. Yet God saw us and knew we had these moments and, and He knew we had these issues and He still loved us. And He said, I want to rescue and redeem. I want to disrupt the darkness. And so in spite of our sinful and wretched condition, God did not abandon His creation but acted to disrupt the darkness through Jesus. Through His death, Jesus bore the penalty for every sin. And with His resurrection, demonstrated His power over sin and death so that we, though we may wrestle with darkness, don't ultimately have to be limited by it. You see, we have a reason to hope, and that is Jesus came to disrupt the darkness. As we continue to read the story, we not only find that Jesus came to disrupt the darkness, but another reason we have to hope is that Jesus is closer than you think. So after getting Peter and John, Mary returns to the tomb with them, and sure enough, Jesus is not there. His body is not there. So, so Peter and John go back to the other disciples to figure out what to do next while Mary remained at the tomb. And it goes on to say in verse 11, Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. And as she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one uh, at the head and the other at the foot. And they asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she answered. I don't know where they have put him. And at this, Jesus turned and saw at this, she turned and saw Jesus standing there. But she did not realize that it was Jesus. It's kind of this funny little episode that, that John writes about. There's Mary, so overcome by the fears connected with the empty tomb, that she fails to see Jesus who is right next to her. Now, before we're too hard on her, how many know that sometimes we all have ugly cries? Right? We're in the midst of our struggles. We fail to notice what's around us. Have you been in that moment? So stressed where, where, where you're wrestling with things and, and all you see is the problem. You don't see a whole lot beyond it because it just seems so big. Yet right next to Mary is the risen Jesus. And it is a reminder that He is always closer than we think. Even when our struggles become so big that it's hard to see anything else, Jesus is closer than we think. And you might be in the midst of a struggle right now. It may seem as though there's a darkness and, and there may, it may seem like there's no good way to get out of this. I want you to understand, Jesus is closer to you than you think. And, 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 and I think it leads to the next hope, which begins to answer the, the question, why is He closer than we think? And the reason is, is because He cares more than you realize. That not only is Jesus closer than you think, but He cares more than you realize. It goes on to say in verse 15, So Jesus said to her, 
because she didn't understand who he was at the time. So Jesus just asked her a question. He said, woman, why are you crying? Who is it that you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, uh, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. Now, I, I think this is a beautiful verse because it actually demonstrates the tenderness of Jesus. Now, I don't know about you, so like I've already confessed, I've, I have some twisted moments. Okay. Now, whenever you begin a sentence with woman, and then you say something. How many know in our culture that doesn't always go well? How many know it can sound a little harsh? Woman, why are you crying? Like, I want to ask how many men have asked that question. Because men are like all the time going, good Lord, what is he going for this time? Right? So, so just, just, you know, so language, language is kind of like different. So, so when, when Jesus is saying woman, he's not, he's not like, he's not being harsh with her. It would be like ma'am or, or miss. It was just kind of like the way it just kind of translates. But they always translate it like woman. And so for those who hear that, you got to not hear that. you gotta, you got to hear woman, ma'am, miss, why are you crying? Why are you crying? And what I think is so beautiful about this, rather than excoriate her for, for her inability to see, he invites her to share her hurts with him. You want to know something? God is, doesn't look at you and say, why are you crying in, in a mean, hostile tone? Like in the midst of your mess, God doesn't come to us with hostility. He comes with grace. Now, often people view God as merely demanding. He's the God of the commandments. Do this. Don't do that. I grew up in church, and so I remember that these got extended in a whole bunch of things. And following God sounded a whole lot like a whole lot of commandments of do this, don't do this. And then there's that part of me that does this, right? And sometimes that's how we vision God. And that, that's how we think that's how he wants to work in my life, is just to tell me what to do. But I want you to know that He is not just the God of commandments, though He does bring parameters to our life. He is also the God of questions, who invites us to wrestle with where we are at. Why are you crying? Well, why, why, like what's going on for you in the midst of this darkness, in the midst of this difficulty, in the midst of this uncertainty? You see, He invites... Married to a conversation, one that will transform. And I'm convinced that even in our difficulty, that Jesus invites us to a conversation, one that will transform us if we are willing to dialogue with Him. You see, ultimately it's about coming to Jesus as we are, where we are. Like, you, you don't have to get it all together. Did you know Jesus has no issues with weepy people? People who have messes. People who are struggling and wrestling. Did you know, actually, if you read through John, Jesus is actually drawn to people with tears. And there's this sense that John wants his readers to understand that our tears actually invite his presence. That in the midst of our brokenness, we have a God who cares about us so much that he says, you know what, I want to come near to you to help. 
You see, He cares more about our lives, way more than we realize. And He comes near so that He can lead us to life. I think this is one of the reasons we have to hope, not, not only because He disrupts the darkness or He's closer than we think, but, but also because He cares more than we realize. You are not forgotten. You are not alone in the struggle. We have a God who cares. And the fourth reason we have to hope is because Jesus wants to transform our lives with His life. So Jesus goes on to say, so Jesus says to her, because He asked her these questions, and she's just like, I don't know where they put His body. If you're the gardener, tell me. I'll go get Him myself. And then Jesus said one word that changed everything. He said her name. He said Mary. And there was something in the way that Jesus spoke her name that all of a sudden things began to make sense and she could see beyond the darkness and she could begin to see the one who loved her far more than she ever realized. And it's the same for us. See, one of the joys of serving a living Savior is not only does He know us, but He still calls us by name. And that in the midst of our darkness, more than just seeing all the mess and the muck and all those things, Jesus comes close to us because He cares and He wants to change everything for us to open our eyes that we can see Him and see different because in seeing different and seeing His life, all of a sudden it begins to change us. Ultimately, Jesus' life was for our lives. It will go on to say, you know, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to the Father and your Father, to my God and your God. And Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that He had said these things to her. You see, the life that Jesus wants to bring to us is not limited by earthly scarcity, but is empowered by heaven's abundance. Jesus is like, listen, I want to do something in and through your life so that you have access to heaven's blessing upon your life so that you can be the husband that God is calling you to be or the wife or to be the mother, the father, to be that worker, to be that, to be that person in community that makes a difference to bring light and joy and hope. That is not something that you begin to access or do on your own. But Jesus says, listen, I am going to the Father. And when I go to the Father, I am going to pour out upon you everything that you need. So that you can know my grace, my goodness. That you can experience transformation. See, John wants us to understand or see Jesus as an intercessor, one who makes a way for each of us to experience heaven's blessing upon our lives, regardless of the ups or downs we experience. And He wants to transform our lives with His love, to turn our mourning into gladness and our tears into joy, because He is the one who rescues and restores. And He can do this because He has access to heaven's resources. Because he died and he rose again. 
This is why I said right at the beginning, the big idea of all of this is simply that the resurrection of Jesus gives everyone a reason to hope. We hope because Jesus has come to disrupt the darkness. Hey, are you experiencing darkness in your life? Are you wrestling with stuff not just outside of you, but maybe inside of you? Listen, Jesus has come to disrupt the darkness. That he is closer than you think. He hasn't given up on you because you made that stupid mistake or you did that thing or you got this history or you got this habit or you got this hurt. He hasn't given up on you. He is closer than you think and he cares more for you than you realize. And he wants to transform our lives with his grace. The question is, is will we receive his hope? Will we allow that hope to do it? And I think the way that we allow his hope to begin to change us is, first of all, we have to begin to acknowledge our need. It's about being honest with him in his presence that, God, I need help. Now, I'm not going to guess if there's any proud people here, because I have this problem myself at times. How many of you like to ask other people for help? Yeah, I didn't think so, right? Like, why do guys keep driving and driving you know, your wife's like, why don't you just stop and ask for directions? Like, this was before cell phones. you remember that? How many are grateful for cell phones because it totally has bailed you out on time and time again? Right? Go stop. I'm not going to stop and ask directions. I'll find my way. Oh, that didn't happen to us at ever. Ever. Not today. I was a smart man this morning, and I kept my mouth shut. No, I'm just kidding. But we don't like to ask for help. We don't always like to acknowledge that we got a problem. You know, sometimes it's so much easier to talk about everybody else's problem because if I can talk about everybody else's problem, I don't have to deal with mine. But for God's hope to change us, we actually have to be honest with them. We have to acknowledge our brokenness. We have to acknowledge the darkness that we wrestle with, not just without, but within. We have to confess to him that, that, you know, we have this tendency. God, I think I can figure this out on my own. Like, so some people treat God like the fire extinguisher where it says, break glass in case of emergency. And we just leave God there for the emergencies. But the hope that God wants to give us is more than just emergencies. He wants to give us hope in our daily living, in our, in our daily comings and goings, like in every domain of your life. He wants to inspire and bring hope so that we can know his life. But we have to be humble enough to say, God, I need you. It's about taking responsibility for the fact that, you know what, sometimes we're the ones that say, God, I don't need you. I can do this on my own. Yet instead of finding life, we find brokenness. You see, at some point, I'm convinced that all of us have to make the decision that it's time for a change. At some point, we have to acknowledge our need of Him. To turn to Him. To resist this, this idea of that I don't need God in my life and say, God, I actually need you. To acknowledge our need. How do we allow this hope to change us? Acknowledge the need, but also receive His gift of life. Because you know what? When we do that, God's not asking you to confess your sin so that He can make you feel terrible about you. Truth is, you already feel terrible about those things. 
He's doing it because He wants to free you. So in this, in this church thing, we talk about this. We talk about the idea of forgiveness of sins. Do you know what forgiveness means in the Bible? It means to release. It means that, you know, there's some things that get tied to you, things that you did wrong, that you did stupid, words you said, actions you made, maybe some attitude you showed off, and it keeps coming back over and over, and you remind yourself, oh my goodness, there's that miserable part of me. Yet what forgiveness does is when we confess our sins to him and say, God, I was so wrong on that. Would you forgive me? What Jesus does is he forgives us and he says, you know what? I am releasing you from that. You no longer have to be defined by your history, your hurts, or your habits. You get to be defined as my child. And we sang about it this morning. That we don't have to be defined by our worst moments or our worst days. We get to be defined by His grace. You see, God is the God who longs to forgive us, to rescue us and restore us. And I think that our hearts and, and our lives are changed and transformed when we acknowledge our need, receive His gift of life, and then allow His life to move through you. Letting this hope of a risen Savior to begin to empower us to live the life we were created for, the life God intended. I've been around people long enough. I want you to know I love people, even messed up people. And that's good because I look in the mirror and I have to live with me, okay? But I have watched so many people go through so many different hurts that God never intended. Broken people. And God says, listen, I don't want that to be you. I want you to be defined by my love, my grace, my life. I have found that following Jesus leads us toward a better future. A future that is filled with grace and goodness. You see, the resurrection of Jesus, that which we celebrate today, really gives everyone a reason to hope. You don't have to leave here today the same person. You don't have to, you don't have to leave this place feeling like you're never going to, it's always going to be the same. God offers each one of us, through Jesus Christ, a better future. We have a reason to hope. He's come to disrupt the darkness. He's closer than we think. He cares more than we realize. And He wants to transform our lives with, with His life. Friend, I want you to know we have hope. I don't know what your situation is. I don't know what your circumstances are. I don't know what you're wrestling with or struggling with. But I want you to know that because Jesus died and He rose again, we have hope for something better. A hope that is greater than our situations and circumstances. A hope that is greater than our fears and our worries. A hope that is greater than our disappointments and uncertainties. And this Easter, I believe that Jesus is inviting all of us to experience that hope. Because He lives, we also can live. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank You that You love us. I thank You that You're alive and that, Lord, Your life brings life. And God, I know that, that the, each one of us, we're, we're at a different place in the journey and we've, 
We've all experienced different kinds of things, yet God, it is your grace that wants to transform and change everything to bring us life. Lord Jesus, I thank you that, Lord, it is your desire to disrupt the darkness. Lord, it, it, is, it, it is your love for us that draws you nearer to us than we realize that, Lord, it is, it is your love that is manifest in your care that is greater than we realize or imagine. And so, Lord, on this Sunday, this Easter Sunday, this Sunday when we celebrate your life, we invite your life to be our hope. And just while your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, how many here would just simply say, you know what? I need God's help. Maybe you've been a little too proud lately and thinking I can, I can figure this out on my own, but, but, but you know that, you know what? I'm dealing with things that I know are bigger than me. And I just need His grace to help me. See, He invites us to experience His grace today. And if that's you, if you're saying, you know what, I, I need God to help me. I need Him to disrupt some darkness that I'm dealing with. If that's you, would you just raise your hand because I want to pray with you. See those hands and those ones. Thank you. You can put them down. Is there anyone else? Lord, you see all these hands. Thank you. You see all these hands. You see all these hearts. You see all these people whom you care about so deeply. And Lord, I pray that you would ignite something in their hearts even now. That Lord, as they go into the remainder of this day, as they go into another week, I pray that you would ignite a hope in them that is greater than what they're wrestling with. God, I pray that they would hear you speaking their name and awakening life. That God, as they follow you, Jesus, as they follow your teachings and your directions, as they follow you, that God, you would help them discover the life that you intend for them. Lord, thank you for your goodness and grace. Thank you that you're our hope. That you're a living hope. And we can put our hope and our trust in you. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Let's all stand together.